Good morning. Have you seen driving around Denver some of these billboards that have a picture of how adults see something and how children see something? Seen these? I grabbed off the internet a couple of images of these. You know, so what we see is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What kids see, an awesome steak dinner. And then what we see, a bed. What kids see, a trampoline. And this is my favorite. What we see, a plastic ride-around big wheel. And what do kids see? A monster truck. Isn't that true? What is the difference between what we see as adults and what kids see? What's the difference? Imagination. Imagination. And today we're talking about Monday morning faith and how we see work, how we imagine our work. And the big idea I'm working from is this. Because God works, he created us to work and use our imagination. So first, let's start with God works. Please pull out your pew Bible. It's the blue one. And turn to page one. And I know page one isn't exactly the first page, but it's past the preface and the table of contents to Genesis 1 And this page in the Bible begins on Monday, or as we think about Monday, the beginning of the work week. So Monday morning faith, here we are beginning Monday morning. Here's how the first line on Monday morning begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love that start. I love it because it's Monday morning, And what is God doing? He's going to work. Isn't that great? It's so important because as we think about God, who he is, that he is working means that he's active and participatory. He's involved. You know, you think about maybe a Greek mythology God. What do you imagine? You imagine a God sitting on a throne with the minions doing the work, and God does not work. But our God works, and as a result, we understand our work to be valuable, important, meaningful. Okay, will you do an imagination activity with me? Continuing in that creation story, you, if you dare, close your eyes, and in your mind, imagine this scene at creation. Now, the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the, wa- over the deep, and the Spirit hovered over the waters. As you hear that, what are you imagining in your mind? The earth is empty and void. What does that look like? The Spirit is hovering over the waters. What do you imagine the Spirit of God is doing? You can imagine and think about that as I keep talking. And I invite you to open your eyes if you'd like, or keep them shut and keep imagining. But as you imagine what God was doing at creation, I think that's a beautiful activity. And it's something that I've done since I was a kid, imagining God in creation at that very beginning. What was happening? Filling in the details. And as I've gotten older, the details, the images that I have, have changed as I've learned more and as I've grown up. But it's an activity of understanding and thinking about what God was doing. 
And sometimes I think, kind of like those billboards of how adults see versus kids see, I think as adults, we arrive at this place where we stop imagining. We stop imagining and we want to arrive at a concrete image and we want to hold on to it. We want it to be fixed and sure and certain and we stop imagining. Well, at the beginning, God goes to work. And where does the work begin? You heard that line, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit was hovering over the waters. You know, what was the spirit doing? I think the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, looking at things, thinking, wow, what can I do with this stuff? He's getting excited. And the work begins in God's imagination. Because first, God begins in his imagination thinking about what he can make, what he can do with this stuff. So God begins thinking about light. He's got things about, ah, the ability to see sometimes and not see at other times. So maybe God starts thinking about this whole universe and a sun, and that sun will be the thing that gives light. Also will give energy and heat and warmth. God thinks, ah, I'm going to really mess with those people I'm going to make the sun at the center, and I'm going to make them spin around, but I'm going to make them think that they are at the center and the sun's going around them. God was having a lot of fun thinking about the sun and the things of light and times of darkness and rest and sleep. How ridiculous is sleep? But God thought, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to make them sleep. And then I think about God thinking of creating these flowers and animals. You know, God pulls out his sketch pad and his you know, 64-pack of crayons, because when I was a kid, that was like the best thing, and so that's what God had. And God just starts drawing flowers and imagining different flowers. God starts drawing animals and just being super creative and thinking of a rhinoceros and then a giraffe ah, and just fuzzy little bunnies. Just how fun God was how much fun God was having as he was imagining what he would create and how he would make it all. So the work for God begins in his imagination. And then God speaks. It's Monday morning. It begins. He goes to work to make that thing in his mind and his imagination become reality. And for God, he could simply speak and it would appear. So second, because God works... He created us to work. So good how he informs who we are. When God created people, he said this, let us make mankind in our image, like us, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God made people different than all the other plants and animals. God made us with this ability to work, to imagine, to think, to plan ahead, to organize, this ability to rule over. I think this is a great scene where God is making and creating, and then he says, ah, these people, hey, you guys, join me in the work I'm doing. Join me in ruling and creating and developing and improving and have fun doing it. 
So God created us to work like he works. But it's slightly different. Because you think about God, he just imagined it in his mind and then spoke it, and it became. We do not have that same power. Exactly. We close to have that power because you think about this. Think about a teacher. A teacher would love the power of speaking and children automatically learning and understanding intransitive verbs, division, dates and events in history. Wouldn't that be a great miracle? Can I give a shout out, Matt? Yes. But if you think about it, that's actually how it works. Teachers speak and learning happens. There might be a ton of repetition, but that's how it works, that teachers speak and kids learn. Or you think about computer programmers. You know, computer programmers imagining something in their mind and then they're bringing it into creation, into reality. You know, how do they do that? They use language, code. I don't understand it, but it's something about pluses and minuses. And they do that, and they can produce an app or a computer program or a website. You think about the power of these computer programmer people to program something with language so that the robot can go weld up a car or program so this 3D printer can print something. I mean, it's pretty amazing how it goes from their mind and imagination, and they use the language of programming to bring it into reality. Or you think about your interpersonal work that perhaps you have to do, where you have a person that you're working with in some capacity, you need to motivate them. Maybe they need to change their behavior. Maybe they need to improve or grow in some skill. But somehow you have to help this person and move forward, motivate them. And how do you do that? The work begins in your imagination. As you imagine that person, think about the skills they have, you think about the deficits they have, you think about that person, and you think about what you need, you have in your skills to help that person move forward and to motivate them, and then you use language to talk to that person. It's, it's amazing how we use language to take this stuff that's in our head and to bring it into reality. So here's a lunch conversation for you. If you're going to lunch with somebody after church, talk about what in your job do you imagine first? How does your work begin in imagination? And then how do you take that stuff in your head and imagination and bring it into reality? What tools do you use? What do you do to make that happen? Good lunch conversation for you. Third point, because God works, and he created us to work, and he created us with imagination. I want to invite Brock up to tell us a story um, that Barbara Brown Taylor wrote about in her book, um, Living Out Your Vocation, about how a friend of hers lost his imagination. Now, this Brock's going to read in first person, but this is not Brock's story. Thank you, Brock. I was 11 years old, a distracted fifth grader who yearned for the last day of school so I could return full time to the fields of play. Memories of the previous summer spurred me on, long days spent lying on my belly in the backyard, racing miniature cars and trucks with my friends. 
When the last bell of the school year rang, I ran home to get everything ready, and the next morning I hauled it all outside. With the early sun heating up behind my back, I sat down in my special place, surrounded by special toys, and waited for the delicious feeling to creep over me. But nothing happened. I picked up my favorite truck and ran its wheels over the ground. I roared, as I had done so many times before. But it was not the sound of an engine this time. It was the sound of a boy's voice pretending to be an engine. And I was suddenly self-conscious. One by one, I tried all my old tricks, but none of them worked. The bridge to my old world was gone. I no longer had access to it, and the loss opened up a hollow place inside of me. I looked at my toys and saw what I had never seen before. They were small and cheap, a child's toys. It had all been a silly game. Standing up, I dusted myself off and left the fossils of my dream time lying in the yard. <laughs> yes, thanks, Brock, for reading someone else's story. Ah, have you lost your imagination? Oh, imagination does not need to stop in childhood. It's not something that when we become adults, we move to certainty or whatever adult stuff that pushes imagination to the side. We can keep our imagination. And in fact, what we need to do is to transition our imagination forward into every stage of life, into adulthood, and to use it for adult purposes. Uh, my kids, Russell and Lila, are fully in imagination right now. And we say to them all the time, Russell and Lila, your job is to play. Because in playing, they're developing all the skills and things that they're going to need in adulthood. So in playing, they're practicing and getting ready for adulthood. You know, Lila, she's five, she loves to play with dolls and make up stories. And she loves to live with the mermaid swimming under the ocean, at least in her mind. And I wonder for Lila what she will be when she grows up. You know, how will she translate her imagination now into adulthood? Maybe these imaginary stories now are preparing her to be a novelist who's going to write stories or become a movie producer or produce those funny little mermaid shows like she watches on TV. Or Russell, he's seven, and he just likes to play with sticks. A few years ago, Russell, um, he was probably four, and he lamented to me. <laughs> he's like, Dad, I don't have a real toy gun to play with. And I said to him, Russell, that is what I love about you. Because you can take a stick, and you can, in your mind, imagine that it's a gun or a drill or a sword or an axe or whatever you want it to be. And because there's sticks everywhere, you can always have fun. And I wonder for Russell, as he transitions to adulthood, you know, how will his imagination now translate into adulthood? You know, I wonder for Russell if he will be like my grandpa, who he's named after, 
know, will he be an inventor who just takes a bunch of stuff here and some of that over there and puts it together to make something new and different? You know, there's hope for all of us that our imaginations can transition forward into adulthood. James Whitehead wrote this fascinating quote. Faith is the enduring ability to imagine life in a certain way. Think about that. Faith is this enduring ability to imagine life in a certain way. And that's what we do. We use our imagination as adults all the time to create the world that we live in. We're trying to make sense of the world. It's defining our perceptions of the world. And sometimes we can make up a lot of crazy stuff in our heads that may or may not be true. And sometimes we can get a lot of input from the outside through TV and commercials and our culture that we live in that can put stuff in our heads. And that's where we function from. But the scriptures, when we come to the scriptures, the scriptures help guide us to imagine life the way God wants life to be lived. The scriptures help us imagine God at work and what that means. Scriptures help us see our own work and imagine how our own work is joining God in doing the work. Last month, the kids club kids downstairs memorized Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I love that they just did that because I get to use it right here. And this passage right here where Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians, Paul's actually addressing the slaves when he wrote this. He's telling the slaves, whatever you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord, which is using their imagination to translate the activities of their day to see how they are accomplishing the purposes of God in this world, doing good work. It's the quote, faith is the enduring ability to imagine life in a certain way. Paul's inviting them to imagine their life, even if they're working for a terrible slave master, to imagine their life that they are actually working for God. And it doesn't matter what you do. If you can see how your work is doing the good work of God, that can be the perspective that you live in that you can imagine your life, that you are serving the Lord. So I hope for the kids as they memorize that verse, that it is strengthening the muscle of their imagination so that when they get to the point in adulthood where they are doing whatever work they're doing, that their imaginations will understand their work as working for the God. So that when some kid grows up to become an accountant, they will see their work as working for God by bringing order, correctness, and accuracy. Or maybe some kid's going to grow up to become an electrician, and that kid is going to see that their work is working for God by bringing safe electricity to be used by tons of people in a gazillion ways. Or maybe they'll grow up to be a CEO, and they'll see their work is God's work of imagining something and then motivating a whole group of people to come behind that, to make that vision reality, and inspiring them to do their part to bring it to a whole.
know, however these kids grow up to do whatever they're going to do, that they will have their imagination set to see how their work is working for God. So this morning, as you're thinking about your own imagination and your own work, are you thinking about your work as work that God is excited about, that he's coming alongside and encouraging? I asked Barry Swanson to tell us a little bit of his story to understand how God helped him see his work as being part of God's good work and how he used his imagination. Now, Barry has been, he is one of our founding elders here. I don't know what that says, but I'm going to just leave it there. Barry, tell us some more. All right. Um, I'm a patent attorney, and I started uh, a law firm um, just about 30 years ago. And um, same firm, I've worked mostly in the pharmaceutical industry, um, patenting um, what would be hopefully approved drugs. And I kind of look at this question, and I look at it in three different ways. The first way is really the... In the big picture, I'm part of an industry that's bringing new drugs to people, and that's, a, that's an exciting, important thing. Um, I think when people wonder why drug prices are so high, I know the reason for that. Um, for a typical drug to get through uh, FDA approval, a minimum of $100 million just through the regulations and and so for a drug to get approved, one of the essential things is that it has patent protection, and so that's the part of the work that I do. And so there's, there's satisfaction, there's reward from being in that, that big industry. Um, but in the course of my career, in that 30 years, there's probably been less than 10 drugs that have been approved that I've worked on. So it's a... Um, if you're looking for that for your satisfaction, um, that's a long go. So the second way I look at, you know, what I can do and what I've done in, in my career is just the environment that I can create in the office and the people I work with and my clients. And, and I think I've been successful in that, and I think that um, I have my... Personal assistant um, has worked for me for 28 years, and we have uh, three other um, of our employees that work with me that work for over 24 years. So I like to think that it's an environment that people like and are and are comfortable in, and the, you know, do that. Um, just emphasizing integrity, treating people the way you want to be treated and to um, really have an environment where people feel um, like they're not going to get in trouble if they make a mistake, that they're going to be, um, be forgiven for, for whatever happens. And so I think that that on a day-to-day -day basis makes, um, makes going to work more pleasant, and it's an environment where people want to be. And then the... The third area where I look at um, my career is just that um, because of 
of my work and our practice of tithing and giving, we've, over the years, have been able to give so much away um, to churches, to schools, to missionaries, to orphanages in the U.S. and internationally, and that is, again, is something that is rewarding and you feel it every day and, you know, makes it a, a great experience. And in January, I'm retired, so this is all um, in the past for me, so it's, <laughs> it's a good thing. All right, thank you, Barry. Give Barry a hand of applause of thank you and appreciation. Oh, thank you, Barry. Hopefully, as you hear Barry's story and talking, even beginning to imagine in your own work, what are you doing? How is it joining God in his good work? And how does that in and of itself give you meaning and purpose? Not the results, but simply being a part of what God is doing in this world. Well, I encourage you to continue as we head into this series, Monday Morning Faith, to think about your life, your work, and your faith, and what's going on. Not a separation of, you know, here's Sunday morning, and we're going to spend this time here, and I hope I have enough drive and inspiration to carry me through the week, but how does your work and life come together where you're seeing, using your imagination to see where your life is connecting with God every day? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us in your image, that you have made us like you in our abilities to think and to work and to communicate and to imagine. God, I pray that you would ignite our imaginations to think about our lives as joining you in this world, that what we do has meaning and purpose, and that you are glad that we are doing it. I pray that you would inspire us to bring your light into this world, and that we would be an encouragement to others simply by the life that we live and how we reflect you in it. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.